Welcome to Lectionary Call-In for Tuesday, August 1st of 2023, where laypersons and pastors, seminarians gather at 6.30 a.m. each week to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for the coming Sunday. In a moment, we'll say hello to our special guest pastor, who will be with us for the next two weeks. But today, we gather to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for the coming Sunday. That's August 6th. And we're working to be faithful to Lectionary Year A. Here's how it works. We prepare independently in advance of the discussion after receiving some formative questions from the week's leader. And then in this podcast, we share, question, and challenge each other. And here are the folks joining us in today's discussion. Sarah Mickelson from Tampa. Serenity Taylor from Charlotte, North Carolina. Yay. And I'm Don Upton in Charlotte, North Carolina as well. And a little more on Serenity Taylor. Uh, She's pastoral resident of Congregational Life and Pastoral Care at Covenant Presbyterian Church in Charlotte. She graduated from the University of Florida with a bachelor's degree in English and is a recent graduate of Union Presbyterian Seminary with a Master of Divinity degree. And she served as a volunteer for hospice in Rock Hill, South Carolina, as well as a chaplain intern at Atrium Hospital. And I had the the memory-making experience of uh, going to her ordination a few weeks ago, and it was uh, just a very special, meaningful event for all involved, and I'll say congratulations to Pastor Taylor on that as well. Uh, As you know, Bill Hall is a member of our uh, podcast family, and we usually see him, and we have for a decade, but he's not feeling well today. We pray for a quick recovery and look forward to seeing him again next week. Our lead this week is Sarah Mickelson. She's going to read the scripture and guide us through the discussions. Hello, my friend. How are you doing? Morning. I'm I'm well, and I'm happy to be here. Um, We're looking at Matthew uh, chapter 14, verses 13 through 21. This comes on the heels of chapter 13, where we've spent the last two, maybe three weeks, talking about seeds and parables. the beginning of chapter 14 opens with uh, Herod and an exchange with John the Baptist and the unfortunate death of John the Baptist um, at a meal that Herod threw. So chapter 14, verses 13 through 21, I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, They followed him on foot from from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. He had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Let send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to And they replied, but we have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, well, bring them to me. And then he ordered the crowds to sit down in the grass. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled, and they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve baskets full. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. And that ends the reading. So we have the feeding of, of the 5,000 
in Matthew's language. Since this is lifted directly from Mark, I also know um, there are other versions of the story. And, you know, I love the one that we get, the little boy that offers up his lunch. But um, in this case, we don't have that connection. So this passage made me think about meals. And Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, describes Herod's grotesque feast and the death of John the Baptist in verse 13b, the words that we hear about following on foot hint at following Moses out of, out of Egypt. Um, so there's this conversation in my head that points to the miraculous provision of manna and quail. And in verse 19, uses similar words, and you might have caught it, that hint toward the Last Supper. Um, blessed and broke and gave. So many meals, so many different motivations and examples of hospitality are layered together in this lectionary selection. What are your thoughts about the contrasting images of these meals um, and the hospitality involved? Um, Don, what do you think? You, you and I talk about meals and table service and dinner parties a lot. What are your thoughts about this one? Well, it works. It's, uh, you know, whether you're in a diplomacy space with hostile nations or you're at a family dinner, we know there's a discipline in it. We know it works. I mean, I would hold up the diplomacy space. What is this state dinner supposed to do when we're at odds? Lots of things. Lots of things. And I, you're holding up the contrast here, and it is so – it gets darker every cycle we read this. And I really appreciate you sticking the – Herod's story back into this, that it's uh, got this sustaining, hospitable act. Jesus says, stay, stay. Let them be, let them be, stay here, which makes no sense because any reasonable human would say they need to go home. Uh, and so we've got this sustaining contrast with this extreme act. And I, I like using the term, you know, a black mass people staying, staying and abiding at the table uh, with this darkness, you know, a table, a table of death uh, and, and strangely sanctuary in some ways. It's so dark. And, and I think that the, counter, it, the counterintuitive nature uh, of the events is, is so shocking that it really drives to the sustaining event that we have at the end that we're reading today. That some, I guess sometimes we need extremes. And when, we, when I think of meals now, you just prompted me on this, Sarah, the meals in the place of trauma, loss, uh, shock, you know, uh, that we make sure that a meal fills a void. Um, these are people meeting in a vacant space when they gather, and Jesus says to stay. Jesus goes out by himself after this traumatic event. Just getting the news alone is enough. It's hard to bear, I would think. And he goes to a vacant place. So there's this backstory of nothingness and being there, which I, I think echoes to the trauma and to the loss. What do you, Sarah, when you, when you dine, not just in diplomacy and in celebration, but we also bring food and we dine and we come together uh, during points of breakage where a reunion is needed. 
reunions needed on the beach when Jesus is cooking for the disciples. There's a great deal of distress. Here, <laughs> where are you? What are you doing? Do you love me? You know, reconciliation seems to go with food. So uh, here thousands are welcome to stay despite an apparent lack of food. And we've been doing this over cycle after cycle. I love the lectionary for that. And what I've learned for it is hospitality is not a courtesy. I grew up in the South. It ain't ain't a courtesy. It's a discipline. It's hard work. And I may not even know how to do it. The disciples go to Jesus going, you know, we're the logistics people. We we know what to do. They're out of here. Which is the right answer. But that's 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 practical. Jesus' hospitality is transformational and something that we can't even see. Hospitality is a discipline. It saves lives, it prevents disease, it creates healthy teeth and gums and healthy bones. It allows for good sleeping, where brainwashing takes place, you know, the washing that makes you so healthy. It allows you to reflect. It allows us to promote more hospitality. So that's, that's where I am on that, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you, Don. You, you teed it up so beautifully for me. Um, and thinking about this reading and the meal offered by Jesus and the meal offered by Herod seemed to stand in really stark contrast to me. Um, As a host, Jesus is motivated by compassion um, to heal and to feed. And Herod's motivation seems to be self-promoting and preserving. It is his birthday, after all. Um, The guests at each meal stand apart from each other, too. Um, Herod's guests seem to be important to his ego, and and they, they get to witness death, in so much as that he doesn't want them to want to look bad or weak in front of them, so he yields to the demand of his stepdaughter, and he kills John. The focus of Herod's feast is Herod. The guests at the meal Jesus offers have elected to follow him. Despite (laughs) so much hardship, they've stayed with him to learn more, and they witness healings and life-giving abundance. So there's just really different experiences going on. Divine hospitality seems awash with abundance. The focus of Jesus' feast are um, people. And that made me think, what does this tell us about God? The Last Supper amplifies those distinctions as Jesus moves into servant mode, washing feet, offering his body and blood for ransom. So this sense of what does earthly hospitality look like? What does divine hospitality look like? Follow really interesting paths for me. And it puts me in a place where I'm going, which one am I hosting? What meal am I hosting? Why am I hosting a meal like that? Or how do I host a meal like God would host a meal? Which is, you know, you never worry about how you would do it. You think of how your mom would do it or how your grandmother would do it or how your father would do it. Now I'm going to add more stress to that story and go, well, how would God do it? And I'm thinking about how interesting it is to set a table for people, knowing who's coming, and 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 how God must have taken that care, and thought about, oh, this is a fun you know tablecloth to use because this belonged to so and so and it was passed to me, or this was a wedding gift. I'm going to bring this platter out. So all of those pieces go into setting the table for the feast. 
And I think about how the table was set for the speech to 5,000 or more, because we don't know exactly, um, for this big bunch of people. We'll call it that. Um, you know, I get stressed out having a meal for six or ten. I can't imagine what it would be like having a meal for that many, especially when you didn't have the opportunity to go to the store. So all of that kind of factors into this this thinking for me. So I, it was helpful to consider hospitality and meals and planning and um, intentionality mm-hmm. and, and what how we want to set the table when people come to church and come to a feast at church. What do you got, Serenity? I love that, Sarah. Um, I'm kind of on the same page when I thought about first Harold's birthday celebration in the feeding, right? You think of Harold, you think of power, you think of authority, you think of access, right? And and then you think of this kind of grotesque act, right? So there was all this plenty, and it still wasn't enough. You still needed to bring something to the table, and then you sit that beside the feeding, and there's limited resources. We know that Jesus was healing the people, so these are people out on the margins, and then there's still something left over for them to feed on. And so I'm with you on that. There's something that's sitting inside of me, like what side, what kind of dinner do I want to host? Is it about the food and the plenty and the access, or is it about the people and the, the message? Um so, so thank you for that. I think also I, I wanted to touch on just kind of like we see God's provision through meals throughout the Old Testament, right? You talked about Exodus with the manna and the quail. We also see a similar story in Second Kings with Elijah. Um, and these meals, it's just it's just showing that God is connected through bringing people together, um, and it's also this understanding that there is a connection with our past, our present, and future. Uh, So the past, like you said, we're connected to that Old Testament, the present, what they're currently going through, and then it's pointing to what is to come with Jesus and what the church is called to do. And so I read something that said, uh, and I love this quote, therefore the assembly of feeding stories connect a timeline that spans the whole salvation history. And I thought that was really beautiful. Oh, I like that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Question number two, hard full stop. This is is me having a panic moment. Um, Hard full stop, that's what I do. And in parenting, I struggle continually to imbue my children with skills to see what needs doing around them. And then the art of stepping up and just doing it without a request from me. I'm... I sense something similar in this passage as well. With the death of John, I wonder if Jesus feels the pinch to make sure his followers are ready to step up. And as a Christ follower, what action cues, and I spelled that wrong in my question, so let me correct that. It should be C-U-E-S, not Q-U-E-U-E. Um, what cue do you hear for the church today in this passage? Um, for me, I, I just... A long list of thought questions came up and says, um, where are you feeling called to step up? Into what relationship are you being pulled into forthright dialogue? What witness are you being called to share? What gifts and talents do you have that are needed? And sometimes it's small things. 
like following the impulse to reach out to a good friend that you haven't spoken to in a while and discovering that they're in crisis and they really needed a friend today. And those are all what I would call moments of um, connectedness that we are called to provide to each other. Um, what about you, Serenity? Um, what do you think? Sarah, this, this hit me hard because I am raising a five-year-old. Um, and so I am constantly wondering, are the lessons sinking in? You know, I continue to repeat myself, as you would with a toddler. And my hope, when I really think about that, is that when I'm gone, she will be able to hear my voice and she will move and she will act, right? That's the hope. That's the fear that she won't. And so when I think about, you know, Jesus in this story, um, I, I connect in that way that as a mother with a child, hoping that what I'm saying is resonating, that she, when I'm gone, she will have something to uh, to remember and to do, right? And so when I think about Jesus in this story, I see, you know, Jesus kind of laying out the vision of, Feed my people, and then the disciples feeling like they know the reality, right? We don't have enough. We don't have the resources. And then Jesus laying it out, you know, like, okay, sit everyone down. Now let's break, prepare the food. Now hand it over to everyone. It's just kind of like this very simple instructions that I'm hoping that you will get this repetition in you that when I am gone, that you can continue this important work. And so, like you, looking at how is God speaking to us today, um, when we know this, we have this rich history, how are we continuing to live into this call that the disciples, Jesus used them in this time? How are we being used today? Continually. Yeah. And I'm going to quote Donna Upton here, wash, rinse, repeat. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> your thoughts about this well thank you for raising children and parenting that is that's what i needed that worked so well and i was thinking about uh my experience as a parent or especially my my experience as a child that's what came back to me how did i participate and it was never about getting a gold star for participation right it's not about a participation award it's very similar to saying good old southern hospitality that ain't it this is work, and it's participation in a way, but it's to connect with the business of life, that you get these pieces, these nuggets of things that you need to do. For me, it's like I, even as a little tyke, I do all the laundry in the house, and I was very proud of what I was doing. And then the light goes on with kids where they see that they're actually adding something to the business of the life, the business of the day. And I think that's the... It took me a while to figure that out as a parent, to help them delight in that. Not just, no gold stars. Be it. Feel it. Dine on it. Share it. Add, add, add. And I think there's a lot here with all the children sitting around Jesus. Oh, I'm going to call them all children. I think he might call them children. Look, see how we participate. And the reason I'm talking about participation is I, I do this every three years, Sarah. You know where I'm going. What if this was a parable? Wouldn't it be better, forgive me, wouldn't it be better? There was a leader, there was a teacher, and everyone went out to see him as they wanted to do. And they went out to a vacant space, and there was nothing there at all. And the leader, and it got dark. And there were a lot of really smart logistics and advanced people on his team. 
who did this all the time. And they went to him and said, we, we know what to do. Everyone needs to go. Because it's dangerous. They're children. People are hungry. The, the mood of the crowd will change. So we know what to do. No problem. Let's go. And, and the leader said, what do we have? What do you have? Well, we have this. We have some scraps of food, some fish. He says, that will do. Let's begin. And so it's not even a miracle story because everybody went out to a vacant space with their family. They had food. So, you know, if you disagree with me, that's fine. But I, why couldn't it be a parable? And there was enough for everybody because we all participated. It wasn't a gold star to show up. You get a gold star by going, I have some figs. I brought something for the children. And there was plenty because everyone's together and they saw each other. They saw each other what they could do, except they needed the leader to tell them that it was there, to, to show them how to participate. Now, I could say it's a miracle, but a different kind of miracle. You know, two people from political divides sit down and dine together. Senators create policy to help humans and children grow and have nourishment. It's a miracle. <laughs> How is that possible? And I think that miracle is more powerful sometimes than the healing itself. So sometimes it's fun to turn it into a parable. Of course, it is a miracle. It just happened. Jesus did it. But just consider that maybe if Jesus did this, it's not a miracle. It's the miracle of participating each other. And, you know, I was – I brought my notepad from a lecture I went to, Serenity at your church, and Dr. Brennan Breed, I think he's from Columbia Seminary, lecturing on hospitality. And he said, quote, Jesus depends on the hospitality of others, too. That's what I've got, Sarah. I'm going to ask the third question, and I'm going to go to Serenity on this one. <laughs> what does this passage say about God's abundance and God's Tension for our well-being and our capacity or incapacity to comprehend and act within those things. What do you think? I'm gonna. I'll be. I'll depart for a second. But I'll be right back. Serenity, what do you got? Yeah. I, um, when I thought about this question, I went back to uh, a recent gathering with my family. Uh, we are big card players play spades, we enjoy coming together with music and, and, and laughter and dancing, and it's always a thing, right? And, and food is never not an option, right? We're going to have food. Um, but when I left that event, I really was just full. And I could say I was full from the meal, but really I was full from the fellowship. And so when we read this verse that says, and all ate and were filled for the longest time. I was like, oh, they, you know, God met their physical need. They were hungry and God fed them. But after a while, as I keep reading this story, it just opens up that what if the fulfillment was a spiritual fulfillment, a fellowship, a social fulfillment? Like it wasn't just about the food. And so it just opens up for me that God is, the abundance of God is not always, it is about physical nourishment, yes. And it includes so much more. Um, and when we come together in hospitality, it centers around food. But when we leave that experience, it's usually the last thing we're thinking about. Thank you. 
And uh, Sarah, are you there? Okay. All right, Don, what do you think? <laughs> well, I want to uh, get into the core of the the third kind of transition to the third question that you're you're asking. And I've been thinking about in Matthew 13, 24 through 43, which we did a few weeks ago. Uh, the connection with the the weeds and the wheat, and and I, I and we're always challenged each week to bridge the lectionary, and I I think the scarcity and abundance there provides some good background for this one too. The first is because what should be done, what is obvious, isn't the right answer. So it goes back to the disciples, or in the case of the parallel I made up, the experts say, this needs to end. And that is the right answer. The utility of the situation is it needs to end. And uh, and then the master says no. In the case of the wheat, the, the experts, the people that work in the field, say, we need to pull those weeds up right now. And I'll add to it, because we'll get 80% of the harvest. We don't, you know, the yield is still going to be pretty good if we get it now, which is the right answer. Of course we're going to pull up the weeds. Of course we're going to send everybody home. And it's not okay. The master goes, no. There is a perfect harvest. And in contrast, and in lining it up with the story, everyone can be fed. Everyone can stay. Everyone can abide in this vacant space. What? And I think it's like almost like if I were doing a, a movie about this, Sarah, I'd have everybody go, what? We're on a Zoom right now. Very few people watch us on Zoom. And I'm cocking my head like, really? I don't think so. But the, the beauty of both of these is the people that are participating, in this case, the logistics experts, the advanced team, the disciples, and in the case of the parable, the people that are working the fields, they know what to do, but they know to go and ask the master the owner. They know to go ask Christ. We think we know what to do. Here it is. There's something there. There's something like, but maybe we don't. Maybe our most perfect, most excellent answer isn't it at all. That we need the inbreaking of the Christ or of, 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 of heaven to show us. So I, and I just want to note that spark, that thing where it's like, of course you send them home. Why are you asking? Of course you're going to pull up the weeds. Why would you even ask the master? And in both cases, they say, let it be. Let it be. And a few weeks ago, I quoted the song by Leonard McCarthy. Let it be. Let it be. And in the case of the wheat, it is a per the impossible, a perfect harvest. And in the case here, everyone is fed and nourished with all the wonderful things that come from that. So let it be all stay, and in terms of linking it to your second question and about what, what does it mean for us today, if that's the case, if everybody's got a scrap to offer, then there's, I'm thinking about 
the church, I love both churches you both are in, you know, in Palmasia or Covenant. It's, you know, there's plenty of experience. There's plenty of financial know-how. There's plenty of service. There's plenty of money. There's plenty of practical gifts. There's plenty of data. There's plenty of food. There's plenty of enthusiasm. And I'll, I'll confess, I'm the one that would go, I don't know. We'll do the best we can. We'll do the best we can. I have the utility advantage. You know, I don't, I, here's somebody who can do the books. We'll do the best we can. Nope. And Christ says there's an excellent way to do these things. That's what I've got there. Um, thank you, Dawn. I, I thought about, I, I read Mark Davis's blog um, through textweek.com, and it's uh, entitled A Gut-Wrenching Gathering, which I thought was really helpful to me. Um, and in this blog, he suggests that God does not see us with pity, as if you might see somebody on the street as you were in the bus driving by and, and go, wow, that person's homeless. He sees us with an empathetic nearness, a, a visceral gut-wrenching compassion. So it's, it's, it's personal instead of um, distant. So it's not pity, it's compassion. And like Jesus looking at the crowd, God sees the broken-hearted sickness of the crowd as well as their physical diseases. And I think oftentimes we make a serious error in judgment when we only look for physical ailments and we fail to see the heartbrokenness that might be there or the isolation that might be there or that the incongruent thinking that might be there because people have been alone too long or people have been living with a particular thought too long. Um, So it, it was helpful to me to consider the invisible as well as the visible anxieties or diseases that people might have and that Jesus sees those things. He sees it in the whole crowd. And Jesus tends this brokenness with a meal, encouraging me to consider what wonderful thing can happen over a dining table by simply including that person in dialogue, by simply asking the question, hey, how are you? And not being satisfied with the answer of fine. But but double-clicking a little harder and asking the question a second time and insisting with some authenticity that you would like them to be honest. And I think oftentimes we are moving so quickly through our days, we don't give that gift to each other. And that frequently we need to step back, as Don would say, what's happening? What's going on? And be able to go, um, okay, so this is what's happening and this is what's going on. And and knowing that you can trust the other person with that fragility, with that honesty, with that dis- disarmament, am I using the right word? Um, but that, that's, that's a gift you give someone else to entreat them and, and to say it's okay to let down your guard. It's okay to stand with them. Um, and sometimes you're scaffolding at dinner tables. And it's a sweetness. And sometimes you are, okay, you need to sit down and relax because you are way too excited about this. I don't know if you've ever had to tell that to your five-year-old. <laughs> sometimes when, when my mom would make spaghetti or something I really liked, 
I would often be um, doing the happy food dance in my seat, and she'd say, you need to settle down. But that's also a part of the story. Mm. And that's all I got for this week, Don. Anybody want to add anything? Well, and we've got just a few minutes left. I'll, I'll, I'll just we can go around one more time because I'm sure you know, we wash, rinse, repeat. This is, what, the hundredth time we've read it, thousandth time we've read it. It just gets better and better. I just want to say sometimes what a shock it is to be asked to participate, to ask to engage, to ask for an opinion, to, you know, to walk in a room and it's like, here. I, I don't know what to make of that, but I wanted to add that, that sometimes it's, and I, I'll just, it's like, maybe I don't want it. Maybe I, you know, and, and I think it goes back to parenting and my experience as a kid and, uh, yeah, and I'm getting myself ready for a day. This is a, even though our listeners listen to this, you know, way down the road sometimes, and years later, I'm getting ready for a day, and so are you. Uh, am I am I ready to catch it? You know, I've been thinking about you know asking people to participate. I'm I'm not even playing the right role. The role probably is, would you do the laundry, Donnie? I'm going to teach you how. At ten years old, you know, like, wow. So I'm also preparing myself to listen and to see uh, what's going on around me. I, uh, Serenity, I, I love the Good Samaritan because it says our neighbor, I believe, is what's in plain sight, not, mm. not systems and people out of sight. That's another kind of service. I believe in that. But it's what, what's around you in plain sight every day, and are you looking, Don? <laughs> are you even looking about what's going on? Uh, but let's go back around. Serenity, do you have any other follow-up before we say goodbye? Yeah, I would love to. I was doing some research and uh, found this poem by Mary Oliver. I'll try to keep it. I want to keep it short, but I, I just fell in love with this, and it was on this topic. Um, it's a, a logos, and it says, Why worry about the loaves and fish? If you say the right words, the wine expands. If you say them with love and the felt ferocity of that love and the felt necessity of that love, the fish explode into many. Imagine him speaking and don't worry about what reality is or what is plain or what is mysterious. If you were there, it was all those things. Eat, drink, be happy, accept the miracle, accept too, each spoken word spoken with love. And it just, that centered me. It was just accept the miracle. Mm. Good one. Sarah? Um, Wrap up? All right. So in wrapping up, I thought about leftovers. (laughs) When's the last time you went, oh, I have that for lunch tomorrow. Oh, I'm so excited. And you get to enjoy the feast over again. And I loved that callback, that memory, and that taste of heaven that you get sometimes in your Tupperware, if that's how you do it. Um, you know, I'm a person that I make extra because I never know how many faces are going to show up at my table. And so I often have food for six and only four come, and that leaves me with a couple portions. So I have a girlfriend at work who um, lives alone, and she doesn't cook, and she is a person that shows dogs. And um, she has Siberian Huskies, and there's five of them that live with her. And so she's got her hands full. So she's almost always what I would consider a Tupperware treasure 
person. And I can take the Tupperware treasure to her and go, top shelf, clear box, red lid, tonight or today for your dining pleasure I offer. And she is excited when I tell her what I brought. So um, her feast today is chicken pot pie, which I made last night. I almost always have enough portions, and she gets excited because that's one of her favorites. And so it's kind of nice to um, to tap into that conduit that says, here's something you could do. You could take leftovers to someone else. I think that's part of the story as well, because even if the story is only Jesus doing the miracle, and it's not Jesus doing the miracle and people seeing the miracle and going, I can add to that, the stone soup experience where... I brought figs or I brought um, extra crackers or whatever. Um, We are asked to participate in the miracle. We're asked to be a part of the story, to continue the witness, to bring the leftovers. Thank you, Sarah. Well, on that note, our time is up. Uh, here Presbyterian Church in Florida makes this podcast possible. They're at 3501 West San Jose. That's Tampa. And for more information, you can go to palmacia.org. That's P-A-L-M-A-C-E-I-A.org. And uh, we commend that site to you for great sermons, Sunday schools, discussions, lectionaries, disagreements about the lectionary, debates, uh, great prayers, opportunities to get, take communion. Check that out. And I'll also say I know somebody else that gives great sermons, and her name is Serenity Taylor, so it's always my pleasure to recommend uh, her comments and sermons and insights to you as well. And you're always welcome, and we'll see you next time.